0: This is Cohesion, Concepts and Contexts, where we unpack and explore everything from architecture to the human experience around design. I'm Matthew Goldstein. In today's episode, we're talking about responsive design and overcoming roadblocks that arise within the creative process, whether it be responding to the natural topography of a site, to the client's brief, or overcoming budgetary constraints. As always, thank you, Matt. welcome back everybody and thanks for tuning back into the podcast hey and guys
1: I- how's it going <laughs> welcome back
0: i uh i feel like our episode is going to be particularly interesting because we're focusing on uh, a conversation that will actually i think be relatable uh and applicable to any field that deals with a collaborative process While it may appear effortless and seamless from the outside perspective, a peek behind the curtain can often reveal that many steps, obstacles, will inevitably occur over the course of a project's timeline. Malik, let's dive into the reality of responsive design. You've had quite a few designs that you've had to respond to and some mid-course corrections along the way. Uh, How about you expound on this uh, subject today?
1: I think one of the mantras that I always go to is to respond and not react mm. to different scenarios that come up or different uh, obstacles and whatever that may be, whether it's site responsive or uh, client responsive or you know there's negotiations that you have to make. I think it's really important to work and negotiate with the process and with the people around it and figure out how to navigate those challenges uh, and hurdles to come up with you know solutions as they come you know as they occur throughout the process um, and i think that to me is more about responding taking the time taking two steps back one step forward and sorting out like what the bigger picture is and then making an informed decision. That way you're responding and not reacting.
0: I think that's uh, that's astute of you. Uh, from a human design uh, perspective, I find fundamentally with the two steps forward, one step back, it's extremely frustrating for people uh, in fulfilling uh, their design and with time consumption. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight, these projects. Um, the key to knowing when to speak, when to listen, when to respond. I think these are all uh, a natural part of your tenure as a designer. Um, what is the the points you wanna bring up when it comes to the actual process of working with others? What's a couple of things you want to um, focus on?
1: I think it's really important to expect the unexpected um, navigating issues or solutions with clients, budgets, uh different environments, different terrains you're working with, uh, uh different personalities. There's all of these variables different that come to play. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's yeah. like a lot of a lot of that you have to navigate. And I think that's where it's really important to be able to stay ahead of the curve and um understand the process as a whole, be confident in your skill set and what you're putting out, especially something as so subjective or conceptual as, uh, you know, architectural work sometimes. Um, and you're, go- you're you're having all of these general contractors and different vendors and uh, trades dissecting your work and not necessarily questioning it, but assisting in realizing it. And things do come up. So I always say to not fall too much in love with your with your work, yeah, but fall in Mm -hmm. love with the process Mm -hmm. and expecting that unexpected because that's where really the beauty of the outcome starts to come to life.
0: Yeah, I think uh, the outcome versus the vision, and you mentioned it in a previous podcast that you can't uh, attach yourself to the outcome and be stubborn. Uh, I think you've done a pretty interesting job of responding and predicting situations that can occur Um, and obviously it's easier said than done uh, but we're talking about how to respond in a smart way um, to these objections to these issues these obstacles that can occur Um, can you think back in the early days when you were confronted with complicated challenges while you experienced uh, right out of the gate so you're hungry you've got a strong vision you're creative tell us about some of the things you had in your earlier projects
1: yeah, and I, I just want to also pinpoint that it's these part of the whole design process is planning. So you're planning mm-hmm. everything out. And so it's not like we're floating around and just kind of responding to things or reacting <laughs> to stuff. This <laughs> this is very specific, you know, yeah. dialed in things that it's taking months to develop, but things do come up, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to navigate them. And so I think we're talking about negotiating with the nuances and being strategic with how you're sequencing a project and responding to a site. So for example, like if you have a lot in West Hollywood that's surrounded by other residences and the proximity Mm -hmm. is not expansive views, everything is internalized. um, One of the things that we did was, we did the landscape first. And so we did the exterior landscape edge condition, all of the bamboo and building out that whole, infrastructure from the landscape front at the beginning of the project and protected it throughout construction so we could allow it to grow over that next 18 to 24 months to have um, some serious growth by the time the client moved in for privacy um, otherwise it would be a little bit backwards if we were doing that towards the tail end up and so there was like this fine line between uh, figuring out how to sequence a project forward and respond to a site and thinking about strategy ahead of time um, to be able to
0: work through those hurdles. Yeah, I think it's interesting thinking back on uh, uh, my experiencing you putting bamboo in because you're like, well, I'm putting in a a, a root barrier so that it's installed. There's going to be no future issues. I'm going to grow the bamboo, then I'm going to strip it to nine feet and polish it, and then there's going to be another ten feet of bamboo above it, and I'm like. What are you talking about? you haven't even put a foundation. I know and,
1: and but it, it, it was so it was so important to be able to there was so much you know uh, holding on in that back view and figuring out yeah. how to um, you know we weren't in Malibu. there wasn't an mm. ocean view. We weren't mm. looking out onto a national forest. Mm. We were looking out at an apartment building. and so it was yeah. very exciting and but the client wanted to have a serene space that was in a metropolis and that was mm. very central located. and so one of the ways that we could do that was really just work with the parameter condition and internalize everything. So it would it made the architecture that much more important and those moments and vignettes throughout the house um, and integrating nature within all of that. And so that all played a factor.
0: I think it was remarkable to look through your flow-throughs and go, um, how are we in Bali all of a sudden? How are we in these intimate spaces and it's completely exotic and tropical? Now, you constantly discussing projects and intricacies with me over the years, and I I find it completely fascinating. Um, uh, With these challenges, uh, the nuances, the complications that can be associated with projects, and the features that a lot of these uh, integrations of various elements, like your designs, are com- comprised of incredible elements, as we'll discuss in in future episodes. Um, without, uh, uh, as you moved forward, you took your challenges even further by challenging yourself to design projects without even basic amenities so you go from all these incredible water installations and waterfalls to no utilities and no uh, basic amenities um in which to ball, uh to build on can you expand on that that was a really radical expansion of your talent base
1: i think it was important to go back to my roots and you know work through my thesis work and realize it in. And... A physical real life application and see what that outcome may be. Spent a whole year putting it together. And so it was really important to be able to find a site that could fit that exact theme of what I was looking for and those characteristics. And that included budgetary concerns immensely because it was a lot of it was out of pocket um, access to the site. And Uh, things that we could work through on an existing footprint Uh, because the beauty about it was taking what was already there and uh, injecting life into it and Mm -hmm. working through that and applying this idea of a nice breaker educational experience about what the concept of off-grid living is. Um, Everybody's on board or has more familiar with it now but you know seven years ago that was you know not necessarily I think people understood that much. And so it was really important to be able to explore what the options were and being out in the desert and understanding that solar energy was, you know, so important and you could produce so much of it out with clear, skin and clear sun and skies um, and being able to take advantage of that and taking advantage of the environment in a way that is not necessarily harmful to the environment, but, um, you're expand expanding on it
0: i think it's uh it's so enjoyable when you as a designer go out to a place with incredible vistas and views and no perceived amenities at all um and what came out of a blank canvas was innovation and um inspiration can we unpack this a little bit from genuinely a, a blank canvas if people saw what you were working with uh, at inception. Um, uh, can you expand on that in terms of your designing and honoring uh, the space that you uh, were creating?
1: Yeah, I think it was it's it was a blank canvas to an extent. It was a blank canvas with parameters. And those mm. parameters were preset already since mm. the Homestead Act that the federal government put together in 1953. Mm. And these outcomes were these, you know, uh, small homesteads that people would be able to build on two and a half acres or five acres of land. And then the government would give that land over to them for free to be able to populate certain areas in the country. Mm. And one being in out, outside of Palm Springs and what is now known as Joshua Tree. Um, And taking that footprint and using that as that parameters is part of one of my uh, points that I needed to focus on how to work with that along with budget, along with there's no external utilities anywhere, um, being 2,700 feet above sea level uh, and understanding and innovating and integrating with the environment around me and being inspired by it because we were Designing, camping, uh, <laughs> yes. and, and building all at the same time, um, and really becoming one with that whole process.
0: I think uh, I think a sane person might go, um, okay, there is a cement slab, a, a couple of little bits of, of beams, um, uh, no utilities. Uh, why build there? what you're a creative person, why build there?
1: I think why not? Because this was before, you know, before people were jumping at the idea of being next to national parks. And I think, I really do believe that national parks in our country are like time capsules Mm. um, that everyone can enjoy um, from all walks of life. And it's just a place where, you know, everyone can appreciate mother nature, untouched, uncensored. Um, and being in Joshua Tree and being alongside Joshua Tree National Park, this property was just like the perfect property. And it was so inexpensive. It was so cheap. And it it just, it, it made sense to be able to apply, to apply and do it there. Um, it just kind of everything fit from looking at all these different properties all over. And it just made, it just made sense to be able to kind of explore that. There's zero light pollution and it had this pre Petra feel to it, which was mm-hmm. so great and so exciting. Mm-hmm. And it you know, was reminiscent of my childhood and growing up mm-hmm. in the desert. And so it was a really awesome way for me to be able to commute from Los Angeles out east and uh, get a taste of that and
0: be able can to you, work can you create that. a little picture of you're driving from downtown LA from your high rise uh can you uh, paint a little picture for us of like what what happened when you would drive to your site
1: yeah i mean we it would a lot of that time would be with uh just getting out to the desert and you're driving on sometimes you're stuck in traffic and then you're getting through all of that you know city noise and then all of a sudden you're driving down a half mile of dirt dirt road and you're an unincorporated non-maintained yeah. Yeah. land um and you're all of a sudden off-roading and
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know gaining access to something that you need to work on so and it's not even just the car part and the commute it was more about the heavy duty trucks and all of the material that needed to arrive yeah. that was a more complicated part yeah. than just like a, just a regular vehicle and the complexities that came with that was not fun.
0: So oh, how about a fun one when we had removed some of the homestead uh debris that had accumulated? Uh at two in the morning, uh something particular happened uh involving a dumpster. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god.
1: Yeah, it I mean, things do come up and it's it's a lot to be able to you know, it, you are out in the wild, so expect the unexpected in that regard. And you have to, again, negotiate with those things, whether it's uh, a logistic or things that, that are going on. But you kind of just have to sort through that and work through it and uh, call the right people for help when you need it.
0: Yeah. And then they get stuck on the sand for two hours at three o'clock in the morning and we meet our way out and never look back. Um, yeah, for sure again, some of the nuances, and and I think a lot of creatives can take things for granted. But for me, um, part of the magic for for me was seeing the process of your gray water system that I had never been exposed to before, except for I saw the results on all of your acreage. Can you expound on this a little bit with just the gray water for?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's actually a really simple, it's a really simple system. It's, Essentially all the water that you're using is going to a gray water and black water. Um, And it's something that could be done in an inexpensive way to be able to repurpose and reuse the water that you're utilizing, especially because we were out in mother nature, we had to be on septic system. Um, We had leach fields and we were deciphering uh, black water, which is essentially toilet water. And then everything else like uh, sink water or shower water, and that gets filtered out deciphered and distributed out to the surrounding landscape that's around the structure and so it was a great way to be able to reuse a water that was already being used to you know water and bring back certain species um, that were local to the area because you are in a dry environment and it didn't make sense to set up you know irrigation systems first of all because we didn't even have the the funds for it and it didn't make sense to be able to waste that much water and it, state like California. So this was a happy middle ground to be able to reuse what we were already utilizing while allowing it to to grow the surrounding uh, landscape and bring back wild animals. and.
0: Well, I think the kind of rewilding of just seeing your acreage turn green and the process of the Joshua Tree tortoise showing up and wandering by and seeing a lynx out in the horizon um, of the property. It was extremely tangible from something almost imperceptible in terms of the gray water system. Um, speaking of restoring the ecosystem, uh, you know, you created a very immersive experience. Um, uh, tell us about the process that that occurred from uh, you were you starting the process of restoring the ecosystem?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think before it's not like I set out to a project and I'm like, I'm going to restore and adjust this whole wildlife. That's not necessarily <laughs> yes. the.
0: It was a side the, effect. The, <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah, that's definitely because I'm I'm not an expert in that. It's just making informed decisions based on the environment that you're in and yes. being as mindful as possible because mm. I do believe that yes it's a property that you've purchased out in the wilderness or near a park whatever but remember there are you know um migration patterns we're in their territory we're not in an urban environment and so you have to be really mindful and quote unquote read the room you know what i I mean
0: read the room i love that
1: and so it's responding to those things and being really really uh uh mindful of making those informed decisions so when we're doing when i'm looking at a project or simply walking through, I'm immediately looking at solar orientation, Mm. various views, uh, light, um, how you're moving through the space, uh, uh, and what existing infrastructure may be there, what may not be there, how to complement what's already there, how to optimize what's already there, if there's anything there, and really work with what's existing, whether it's already pre-existing trees that are placed and mm-hmm. navigating around them, integrating them within the design, it, being mindful of them not getting um, damaged during construction, and then really kind of working within and around all of that, because at the end of the day, that is a uh, someone's home <laughs> or someone's, yeah. you know, whether that yeah. may be a small rabbit or whatever, yeah. you know? And so it's just kind of realizing that That's part of the process and negotiating with that I think is really exciting and it's really fun to be able to work through those things. Um, And that's when I feel like you're really integrating instead of imposing yourself on an environment um, because you're being so mindful of the whole process.
0: Obviously, every project, uh, every environment, you you have um, projects going up. the pacific crest you know there's uh, you're showing up all over the place in these uh very very uh different environments and of course every project's going to have curveballs or a series of curveballs how do you position yourself strategically to handle these kind of situations because of environments are so dramatically different of course you've mentioned planning but what are some additional things that you do to respond to Uh, your environments? Definitely
1: research, Mm, mm. research, 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 Um, especially when it's different typologies, different locations, um, you know, whether we're working on a project in the desert or up in the mountains um, or by the water, or there's so many different variables that come into play. Um, If I'm working on a project in Cody, Wyoming, and we're dealing with migration patterns that I Mentioned earlier, or we're up in a mountain project that we're working on there for a client, and it's in Idlewild, and there's a the whole set of different rules there with snow loads and navigating forests and things like that, and then being, you know, in something like a barren desert landscape. Um, I think it's really important to be able to do the research, understand mm-hmm. the context which you're in, which you're in, and then. Uh, being able to take a step back and look how you're going to integrate yourself—it's kind of like you know jump rope. You're before you do that, like you have to, while some two people are doing the, the hopscotch or whatever, you have to be able to jump in at the right time and figure out when it makes sense. And um, looking at the bigger picture first, um, and then backtrack from there so you can plan accordingly um, with whatever obstacles that may be. Um, predicted and prep for that contingency of things that may come
0: up. To expound on research, when Malik says research, I remember with uh, the uh, Wyoming project, you knew how many thousands of deer went through, how many hundreds of bears, and the 23 pairs of eagles that uh, all required the Bureau of Land Management uh collaboration so when you did your research you really did your research um well we did
1: we did we did our research on a high level because obviously we're not sitting there figuring out gear but we do reach out to consultants and we're like you know you have to reach out to the right biologists and the right people that that can it's actually a few year process where they track um migration patterns and they figure out you know what the seasons are and you can't really do any disruptions from this month to this month because this Mm -hmm. is when um they're moving through the space or Mm. there's you know there's lots of variables and so you have to really be able to map that out from a Mm -hmm. logistics standpoint from Mm -hmm. a construction front but also working with nature as it's happening because it's going to happen regardless whether you like it or not and so working with it is you know the best and the most optimal way possible
0: um you mentioned in previous uh uh podcasts that you've had to trust your gut um uh when you've experienced different obstacles like uh, a financial obstacle um You know, some people might bear down or they might respond or they might patiently wait. Can you respond to some pragmatic things like that in terms of um, an unexpected cost uh, for something you weren't expecting?
1: I think part of the learning process to it is trusting your gut on on mid-course corrections because Mm -hmm. those, those aren't necessarily mistakes. You're being informed and you're learning from it. And you're trying to sort out and make the best decisions forward. Mm. Whether you're building a project in um, in the city or out uh, where you're trying to source water and, mm. you know, a water well comes out dry and you're trying to sort out a, what does that look like to get, you know, a precious resource like that and the mm. curveball and the cost with it. And what mm. did you pour yourself into already financially and how to navigate that, how to look at the different resources that you have not necessarily from a physical standpoint but what other options are at play for you and who can you reach out to in your local community or um, your you know jurisdiction in regards to like okay this these are my other options that i can do here and i can Mm. do step one before i get to step two and then step three and then work your way that way
0: yeah it's um it's interesting to me um as you know an expert in human design is I tell clients that wisdom is the ability to turn a mistake into a mid-course correction and that builds your strategy it also builds your dialogue your systems your approach to clients Um, something Oscar Wilde said is anyone who lives within their means suffers from a lack of imagination and I think with creators who create for creators I think that's something we can definitely find uh, to be the case. Um, You've also, because you create for creators um, in the private sector, in uh, your experiences with creating experiences for the public, um, can you elaborate on an example of a creative person that had something so uh, conceptual and new that wasn't, part of the planning that created a bit of a tsunami effect on the planning the supply chain Um, how do you temper that how do you negotiate that with uh creating for creators
1: um i think for for that it's if you're ready and you're always working with the process and it's something that you really enjoy and love and working at at a constant daily basis you don't have to get ready so then you're able to have options you'll be able to use your emotional intelligence your gut
0: Mm, um
1: mm. and you'll probably have some backup options too because in Mm. design and architecture there's always a plethora of different things that you want to explore and experience it's going to always come down to budgetary concerns and other aspects of the project that may not work for that but then i think it's always good to have options and plan i always plan for three Um, scenarios that are either in different phases or conceptual. Some are more design developed um, and being able to turn a disadvantage into an advantage. I think it's really Mm. important, especially when um, you're making decisions under budget pressures and there's not really that much room for error. So you have to really weigh out your pros and cons and make informed decisions that way.
0: It's interesting to me because uh, one of your out-of-pocket projects that you were working on, you had to create uh, a storage unit for uh, battery cells and um, and uh, just amenities. And this storage unit was, you know, going to cost you money. But something we rem- called
1: that the off-grid lab, not a storage unit.
0: <laughs> off-grid what?
1: off-grid it was an off-grid lab in concept it was oh yes, yes it was actually remembering that now yeah but it was just a happened. fun thing to
0: explore Thus, ha- something really fun happened by you doing something that was a lab a pedestrian thing to store your solar panel batteries um and then you 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 innovated on top of that storage unit can you expand on that a little bit
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it definitely did start out as a storage unit, quote unquote, but really it was just a shell. Um, And it was just a really simple, it started as a shed, a small tiny shed, and then it turned into this bigger shell. And then all of these different utilities had to go into it and fit. And then you need to be able to maintain them. They needed different access points. These are machines and pieces of equipment that needed to function and work together because you were your own utility company. And so you needed to be able to navigate those things. Um, And then it slowly turned into a bigger shell. Um, And then from there, we were like, I was like, you know, wanting to see how this small shed was responding to the rest of the design Mm -hmm. and not feeling like an afterthought. And so it was really important for me to maintain what it was, but then be able to explore this idea of what's occurring above it and Again, going back to my childhood and things that I did in um, growing up, like stargazing at night on my grandparents' rooftop um, in the Middle East, it just that triggered that experience for me. So, being able to explore that was really important, and placing an outdoor bedroom and be able to stargaze at night was like the perfect thing to do. Right on top of all of that uh, equipment that was energizing the space in the cabin.
0: And something you probably won't toot your horn on is that that simple bedroom, that stargazing suite, actually ended up getting featured in Architectural Digest and was listed as the top 50 stargazing suites in the world, coming from something as dealing with a roadblock of how do I store it and things to be one of the most... um, uh, scrutinized stargazing suites uh with architectural digest
1: it was just such a fun way because people were they were bouldering all day at the, at the park we could literally yeah. see from the cabin yeah so they just i was like well you they can boulder their way upstairs and then they could hang out and be able to look outside they felt secure because you were on the second level yeah. you were essentially on a roof deck um mm. an enclosed roof deck with and it's facing the North Star, which is the one that was the most constant. And so there's just like this whole beauty and alignment of all of these things coming together Um, and being able to sit there and watch a nightly show and the sky Mm. is ever changing and doing all of these different things in different moments of the night was really Mm. something uh, to see.
0: So it was really exciting. I I will definitely never forget the space station going by uh, one night, pretty remarkable. Another remarkable thing in terms of uh, a challenge, an obstacle, a roadblock, and it's something we've kind of all varying degrees experienced, is you had to create a tangible response to a design that you were creating. Um, And it was during the past three years where we all know that uh, there was a slight pandemic and you were having to design and optimize experience beyond the pandemic while working with uh, people during the pandemic in order to do that. Um, uh, And also on a bigger picture level, from a design standpoint, um, something that you tapped into was being aware that, because you've been working um, off-grid since 2016 um, uh, on some of your projects, is that you noticed a big migration of people during the pandemic uh, anxious for nature for a cabin for um and seeing a radical shift uh that occurred from there so from a hu- human uh design standpoint the entire globe experienced different forms of upheaval but you had to design and implement and modify during those you know three years so uh tell us how that went for you
1: yeah, I think that was something really interesting to see that all come into play. Because when I was working on the project at the beginning, everybody was like, "Well, where are you going? What are you doing yeah. out there? It's like in the boonies Nobody's out there." <laughs> but no one was appreciating how beautiful the the mm. um, the nature was, or at least not many people were at the time. And then I think the the pandemic really pushed people out of the urban environments to get you know a breath of fresh air um, and be able to experience that and it was refreshing to be able to see that you know what i was doing 3 years prior even even more so cuz i was working through it during my thesis work in mm-hmm. school i just didn't have the means to be able to actually apply it in real life um it was really really exciting to be able to respond uh to that ex- to, to, to that and to people being able to go out there and stay and, and experience that medium of architecture out in the middle of nature, being disconnected from everyone, both from a utility standpoint, but also from a personal life standpoint and having that breath of fresh air, being able to sleep in an outdoor bedroom when mm-hmm. everybody wanted to be outside. Yeah. Um, all of those things just hit, uh, it was like a, you know, a hot knife through butter. It
0: just like, yeah, it, it, it yeah. Worked. And I think it was interesting that you uh, planned and also modified your design based on cultural needs changing um, with uh, how you're providing for materials, how you're working with contractors during that time, but also how you um, uh, stuck to your guns, planned, and responded to the shifts that occurred. I think it's been a delightful uh, journey to see how you were kind of a little ahead of the pack uh, in 2016, starting to help people kidnap themselves out of the city to experience being enveloped by nature with uh, beautiful uh, designs. Um, Anything you want to tell our audience in terms of when you're facing an obstacle or a series of obstacles, um you're naturally designed to paint a bigger picture. You're naturally a visionary. What's something that helps you sustain yourself when the going gets tough? Working out, uh,
1: fitness. I think yeah. that's like the, yeah. Yeah. the thing to be able to, you know get that through It's you know working through something else other than just building and designing and sitting at a computer for hours on end and then negotiating on site and explaining yourself to people to be heard even though you have all of these drawings and all of these details mm-hmm. and specifications um it's nice to be able to to, to get away from that um and you know wh- whether you're working out at a gym for me it's i work out at, at a Indoor, outdoor gym. It's nice to be in nature, to be able to take out to, to do those uh, hit interval, you know, high intensity interval trainings. Um, whether it's you know just
0: outside, um, sometimes even outside. Workout, visits. your morning workouts are cardio and almost meditative in terms of it helps you align before you jump into the office or go on a site visit.
1: Yeah, it's just it's just really great for blood flow and being able to kind of jumpstart the day and. uh you know, get your mind. Uh, there's nothing like anxiously waking up and scrambling to answer an email. It's like a nightmare morning. You know, to set yeah. the tone for your day. Yeah. But if you're doing your cardio, it's a good way to jump. It's almost kind of like jump starting a car, getting it warmed up, and then you're you know off your off off you go. Yeah. And so I think for me, it's
0: really important about about that, and well, we from can you know human, dive into human, that more from, from a human design standpoint. We're definitely going to dive into that more, but. um I'm sure if you see Malik on Instagram, you will understand that he does take his, <laughs> he does take his seriously. But I actually think that's a really refreshing way to end uh, today's po- podcast because it's grounding yourself with self-care and then responding to your circumstances versus reacting. And um, all of the things we touched on today, we're gonna dive in deeper in additional podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Malik, as always. Thank you, Matt, for helping us through this. We'll talk to you soon. Yes.